Welcome back to the State of the Program edition of Dear Old State. I am Athletic College Football Editor Matt Brown, joined by Penn State writer Audrey Snyder. And Audrey, we are here to discuss the big picture State of the Football Program for Penn State. Uh, it's a big day. It's been a big... big uh, you're in the midst of like a big week here at The Athletic. Yeah, a lot of uh, big, interesting, unique stories on The Athletic this week, specific to Penn State, um, if you missed it, Friday... My very long, lengthy sleuthing around campus and the town looking for the Joe Paterno statue. Be sure to check that out. I had a lot of fun putting that together. It was a lot of work. But like I said, Matt, the statue tip line is open. We're committed to trying to eventually (laughs) find this. But really super, super fun story. Um, Obviously, then... Today, Monday rolls around, we have our State of the Program piece, which every summer, these are always very well read, very interesting. We put a lot of time, a lot of care into these, and then I'll tease it for later this week, too. I spent several hours on the phone with four former Nittany Lion mascots talking about their experiences. Um, I've really tapped into the oddities of this beat during the pandemic, Matt. Yes, a wide range of stories here. <laughs> yes, I mean, we're all over the place. We're still covering the heck out of the football team daily, all these kinds of things, how they've reconfigured Haluba Hall and what the plans are as they phase everybody back in. Uh, but I've taken advantage of this time to write some stories that I've always wanted to do. Um, and so I'm happy about them. So that's that's always good. Well, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, be sure to check it out. We have a 30-day free trial going on right now, so uh, good time to get in. You know, we, it is. looks like we're going to have a college football season. Audrey has is pumping out uh, very in-depth Penn State content, and uh, football players are back on campus, too. So we are here on this show to talk about the state of the program, and uh, this is a series that has been ongoing for The Athletic since the beginning of May, and obviously it has been a unique offseason in college football. It's been a unique year in sports so the you know these are big picture views of the programs we've been running one a day since the beginning of may cover and there's you know if you're one you're interested in the rest of college football there's links on the athletic college football homepage uh, to all the other state of the programs we have run so far you can read up on penn state's opponents which i That's love right. to do i mean there are so there's so much information in these state of the program pieces they are super comprehensive um while they're an overall look at the school, at the program, um, they also can serve as an insanely good, detailed season primer if you're looking to do some preseason reading. Um, I read through them, and I feel like I always learn a lot. And I'll tell you, Matt, for the Penn State State of the Program, um, I had sit-down Zoom interviews. <coughs> I guess that's a, that's a term these days. Uh, one-on-one sit-down Zooms with James Franklin, with Kirk Sharaka, with Brent Pry, and with Joe Lorig. So again, this is information that when I say you can't get it anywhere else, I know you won't because I was uh, the only person on those Zooms. So, Well, let's get into it then. We're not going to rehash yeah. exactly what's in the story because we want to encourage everybody to go read it. The Penn State State of the Program, it has... Our big picture view of the program, roster analysis, schedule analysis, recruiting analysis, kind of everything about where Penn State fits into college football right now. So I think let's start with that. Let's just talk about where we think Penn State football fits into the larger landscape right now. Penn State is coming off three out of four top ten seasons, three out of four near six bowls. Uh, they won 11 games three out of the past four years. And one thing I think we can agree on is that, you know, it's already been now uh, nine years since the scandal, you know, eight years of post-sanctions football. 
And it's still completely remarkable and shouldn't be lost that Penn State did not, has not had a losing record since the sanctions. Uh, for as frustrating as at times as those seasons were with the offensive line and the offense and all that, it's pretty remarkable that Penn State has had a winning record each of the last uh, eight years. Actually, and obviously they've had a winning record every year since 2004, 2004, but since the sanctions era began. And now Penn State is back kind of scratching the surface of the upper echelon of college football. Um, Almost there, kind of there, top 10 program, but not like a top five program where we've seen kind of Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, LSU, Georgia, with the way it's recruiting, kind of break off from the rest, Oklahoma as well. And that's the thing, Matt. It's about trying to take that next step, trying to get into that upper echelon, which, hey, to Penn State's credit, as you mentioned, uh, I think it's so easy to lose sight of where this program was a few years ago, given how quickly it rebounded uh, really faster than anyone thought. And if someone tries to tell us that they thought, you know, sitting here in 2012, that Penn State would be right here right now off of three out of four New Year's Six Bowl games in the last four years, um, I would call them a liar. And I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure uh, <laughs> no one, you know, no one saw this coming, no one believed it. But Penn State has staying power right now, and that's super important because you look at recruiting and how you're vying for a lot of these top players in the country. They're at least in the mix for these guys pretty consistently. Now, from a recruiting standpoint, you'd like to see them, of course, land some of these bigger-named guys uh, more consistently, but they're in the mix for them, which certainly... uh, can't be taken for granted because in order to be in the mix for the top guys, you have to be one of the top programs more often than not. Um, So that's where, you know, to me, it's the on-field success translates to recruiting success. But in both areas, Matt, there's a chance that they can elevate and strive for more. And that's the goal. And I'll go back to the Penn State fan survey that I conducted. I want to say that was back in March. And the overwhelming consensus from all of you, the fans who took the survey, was that, you know, it's college football playoff birth or bust. And let's be sure not to diminish, you know, the the importance of another big successful winning season. You can have a successful season and not make the college football playoff, but I think the institution of the playoff has kind of made it either for or bust. And that's uh, at least gauging the fan base. That's kind of what I was able to uh, infer from that. Well, yeah, there's a clear, clearer line now of what being like elite means. And I know that's that oh word. Boy. Is, you know, oh, we've boy. Oh, boy. We've beaten a dead horse of that word. But you know what I mean. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you know, it used to be two teams made, you know, the championship game. So it wasn't it wasn't as much of the line was to get to, you know, play for the national championship. Now that it's four, it's like, OK, New Year's six is one level. Well, you know. For some teams, it's getting to a bowl game. It's going having to win a record. For some teams, then it's like that next step of bowl games. Like you're in the top half of your conference. You know, you're going to the Outback Bowl or whatever. And then there's the New Year Six. But then there's still another level of that now, which is getting into that top four, which is really really hard to do at an era where in an era where you know the top few teams are just recruiting so 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 well. Um, you know, I think Penn State's kind of in a similar position to Florida, where mm-hmm. Dan Mullen. The coach there has made reference a few times how, you know, he took over a team that won four games. So it's a little bit different, but he said it was kind of easier to go from like four to 10 wins than like 10 to 11 or 12. And in some respects, I think, I think there's something to that for programs like Penn state and Florida that have the resources that if you have the right coach, 
and you have these resources, you should be able to consistently compete for New Year's Six win games. Uh, but it takes something else to make that next leap and like win a national championship. And it's really hard to do. It's really hard to do when there are teams recruiting like Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, which hasn't even won a title, but it's been the best recruiter over the last Clemson. four years. Clemson, which didn't wasn't actually was kind of recruiting at Penn State's level for a few years, but now is, you know, parlayed its success into okay, we're one of the top five recruiters in the country now. Penn State in the last four years in the twenty four seven composite uh, has an average recruiting ranking of 12, which ranks 11th among FBS teams and ranks uh, second in the big 10. Ohio state is third in average recruiting ranking. Michigan is 12th. Those are the only big 10 teams in the top 20. Nebraska is 21st. So Penn state is recruiting very, very well, but I think, I think we've said it before. It's like Penn state is recruiting at a four star level, which is very good, but there's still another step to try to recruit to more of a five star level, which is only a very, very, very select few. And is hard to do. And that's where Matt um, Nolan Rucci, you know, that's where <laughs> yes. State's got to keep keep pressing on him as they are. Um, but that's where you got to land some of these guys. I mean, you look at some of the finalists. Uh, obviously, Caleb Williams is not coming to Penn State. Uh, not very surprising. We've outlined that on several other podcasts. But at some point, you know, you've got to be able to get some of these guys. Dante Thornton Jr., somebody who once was verbally committed to Penn State, Penn State does then doesn't even make his list of finalists. And, you know, they're doing a nice job within the region, mostly. But you look at some of these powerhouse programs in Pennsylvania, one of the ones that we've gotten many questions about, specifically St. Joe's Prep, um, and Penn State's got to be able to find a way to get some of these kids up here uh, from some of these really, really talented programs. So, you know, yes, they're recruiting at an insanely high level. Uh, you know, you shouldn't bat an eye at that. But look at who they're chasing. And that big game in October against Ohio State is playing itself out right now in June on the recruiting trail. And that's just how college football works. Yeah, I will give a shout-out to uh... – Bud Elliott from 24-7 Sports, every year he's been doing, used to do it at SB Nation, um, what he calls the blue chip ratio, which mm-hmm. is basically the percentage of players on your roster that are blue chip recruits, four or five star recruits. And as Bud has shown every year, every national champion since recruiting rankings online have started has had a blue chip ratio of at least 50%. So anybody, to win a national championship, it's you start with those teams that recruit over 50% blue chips. And Penn State is actually on that list. Uh, Penn State is at, according to Bud, is at 59% on the roster are blue chip recruits. Uh, there are like 14, 15 programs that have are over 50%. Uh, Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State are like way above the rest, over 80%. Penn State at 59 But Penn State is like in the ballpark. They're clearly a team with enough talent to – compete for playoff bids. I mean, they have competed for playoff bids. They were close in 2016. They were close in 2017. They were pretty close last year, honestly. Yeah. Um, so we know they can compete for it. We know if you get in the playoff, I mean, I, there's still another leap to win the national championship, but if everything clicks right and you you hit on some players, like it's, it's possible. Penn State is a national title contender. It's just, you, you know... The more five-star recruits, the more top 50 recruits, the more top 100 recruits you have, the the better chance you have of winning a national championship doesn't mean you're definitely going to be in that mix as we've seen with, you know, Texas and USC over the years, but it certainly gives you a much, much, much better chance. And Penn state is in that ballpark, but it, it does seem Penn state right now is in the, the zone where it lands a lot of, you know, top 200 type recruits. 
rather than, you know, competing with Ohio State and Alabama and Georgia for like those top 50 recruits. And it's a small margin, but it is still a margin that exists and it is just a hump to get over. And Matt, there's there's some other things that, of course, go into that and closing that gap. Um, one of those is who's coaching up and developing your talent, right? Yes. I mean, that's, that's huge, wildly important. And you look at what Penn State had to do this offseason with all of the coaching changes, uh, that to me gives them as good of a shot as anybody to try and close that gap, especially when you look at bringing in offensive coordinator Kirk Shiraka. And this is a Penn State offense that last year I expected more from Sean Clifford. I'll be honest, I I thought at times he was inconsistent. At times his beat ball didn't look great, um, but it was his first year starting. There certainly were a lot of positives to build off of, but his receiving core was very disappointing. Very disappointing. And you look at bringing in Taylor Stubblefield, okay? So the wide receiving core has got to change. It's got to get better. It's got to get deeper. There's no secret about it. But these coaching changes are something that you can't overlook. You look at bringing in Phil Troutwine to replace Matt Limegrover. So this should be, um, although I feel like we've said this many times before, should be the best offensive line that Penn State's had since James Franklin's been here. Uh, They return four starters up front. But again, Matt, these coaching changes, as much as the recruiting impact, uh, they're they're insanely important because when you're trying to narrow that gap and you're trying to go from a very, very good program to an excellent program, it's every little inch. And we've heard James Franklin say it so many times over the last few years, you know, they're scratching and clawing for that extra inch. Well, part of the scratching and clawing is recruiting. The other part of it is maybe you're only a couple play calls a game away from closing that gap, which again, speaks to making some coaching changes this off season. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's, it's an interesting mix of coaching changes. I think, you know, Ricky Ronnie did a nice job, but I think we, we think this could be an upgrade with Kirk Sharaka, given what he did at Minnesota last year. I think he fits really well into what Penn state wants to do. Uh, I think he, he's just, you know, he's proven, you know, he proved it at Minnesota last year. Penn State certainly saw it firsthand. You know, I think with, with Phil Troutwine, I think it's going to be an upgrade on the offensive line. You know, Steve Adazio has faults as a head coach, as we saw at Boston College, but he is one of the premier offensive line mm-hmm. gurus in college football. And Phil Troutwine played under him and coached under him. And Boston College, for all its, you know, fault as, you know, kind of a middle of the road program the last few years, has turned out some really good offensive lines. And that, that's credit to what Phil Troutwine did there. Um, you know, I think Stubblefield's kind of a wild card. There's been so much turnover at the wide receiver core, in the wide receiving core. There's been so much turnover in terms of Stubblefield's jobs. He's kind of hopped from job to job. So I think the jury is just totally out, but there's also, you know, the position has struggled that, you know, there's certainly ample room to get better. And I think it's just, it's hard to make a judgment on where that will go. And then, you know, defensive line, there's no replacing Sean Spencer, uh, given what he has brought to the staff and as a recruiter and as a developer and as a motivator, you know, John Scott Jr. I think the jury is out there, but we know that they have talent and proven talent. And I, I don't expect any kind of, you know, rough transition on the defensive line. So I think all things considered, it's a tough year for coaching changes, given, you know, the impact that coronavirus has had uh, on the calendar and the lack of spring practice, but all things considered with four coaching changes, I still don't think it's necessarily like, I think it's still kind of a net positive, uh, even with the loss of Spencer, just because I think there's an opportunity for the offense to get better from these coaching changes. 
And, you know, you look at the John Scott Jr. connection to Brent Pry and how, right. you know, Pry actually coached him for a year when John Scott Jr., um, his senior year of college. So there's a lot of belief that he's going to be able to get the job done. And I feel like with Penn State's defensive line, it's always kind of been, okay, regardless of who they're replacing, whether it be a player or now the position coach, um, they've always answered the bell. So I feel like that's kind of the one area that you don't doubt. But, yeah, I mean, these coaching changes, the volume of it, it's more than any head coach would like to see in an, in an offseason, uh, especially when you didn't have any spring practices. So, you know, that's been one of the things, that talking to all these coaches throughout the spring and then early in, into the summer, one of the biggest things is them getting to know these players personally and doing this over Zoom while also trying to figure out, like, okay, here's our new terminology, and we have to make sure we're all speaking the same language for the offense. That's been a really big and important thing for Kirk Shiraka and Sean Clifford. So, you know, how do you make sure everyone's on the same page when you went three-plus months without being able to see them in person? So, you know, they were giving the players quizzes weekly uh, during their time away from campus to make sure that they were picking up the playbook, that they were understanding the terminology, the quizzes were a way that the coaching staff could also get feedback on the way they're presenting the material because it's just going to be so different. But in an offseason when everything was crazy, Penn State found a way to make it work as best they could uh, to at least get to this point where 75 players are back on campus. Players were able to start working out voluntarily, of course, last week, um, but all steps in the right direction. And, you know, another benefit here is that this is, you know, the defense lost a bunch of starters, sure, the receiving core has problems, we, we know, but is this still a fairly experienced roster? You know, one of the fun visual parts of the, all of our state of the program stories is our uh, returning production chart, which, you know, can be a helpful just visual tool to look at, you know, what a team has back. And it's it not looks just about, great, Matt, but it's yeah. terrible. Hard, it's terribly hard to put together, <laughs> but it looks once but, it's done, it looks great. Like this is, you know, it's a better representation of what's back than just, you know, returning starters. Yeah. Um, and what we do is break it down by pass yards, rush yards, receiving yards, offensive line starts, tackles, tackles for loss, sacks, and interceptions. And then we do the percent of the production that is returning in each of those categories. And we helpfully color code it to, you know, the more production you have returning above 50%, it's a greener shade. Uh, below 50%, it's red shades all the way up to dark red if you have like none back. And in these eight categories, Penn State is in the green in seven of the eight. The only one that it's in the red is receiving yards, which has 47% back. Uh, obviously, there's questions there. But, you know, the defense lost starters, but there's still a solid amount of production back, including arguably the best defensive player in college football. And then, you know, Sean Clifford, 100% of the passing yards are back. You know, they, they lose a five-star recruit at running back, and yet 88% of the rushing production is back. You know, 80% of the offensive line starts are back. So this is an experienced roster, which certainly helps with you know this awkward transition with you know some new assistant coaches. But it's an experienced roster with now a very experienced head coach. You know James Franklin's entering his seventh year at Penn State, so um, there's a lot of familiarity here. So I think we should dive into the roster. We're going to do a little you know there's very deep roster analysis in Audrey's state of the program story. So I think a different way we can approach this here. Why don't we go position by position and talk about who we think is the most important player at that position for 2020 and who we think is the most intriguing or interesting player to watch this year. And there's probably going to be some overlap 
uh, with our answers and with those two categories. But I think we can highlight some noteworthy people uh, as we go through the roster. Um, if we start at quarterback, though, it's you know, <laughs> pretty uh, obvious. More, more options than some of these other. <laughs> and for as interested as I am to see if Will Levis has like a, a role, I still think kind of the most important player and most interesting to watch this year are Sean Clifford, just because obviously he's the most important. He's the returning starter. But also, you know, if we're talking about Penn State making the next step, it's Sean Clifford making that next step and, you know, doing what you mentioned and becoming a more consistent quarterback. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things when you look at Clifford and you you look at the way he's going to have to operate within this new offense, it's going to be interesting to see, Matt, if we're going to see Sean run the ball as much as he did last season. Last year, it was a bit of a surprise. Everybody said, oh, I would advise no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everybody was like, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's a pleasant surprise that he's able to run the ball like this. Um, but the hits over time piled up by the end of the season. That's why Will Levis, of course, made that Rutgers start um, and got all that playing time against Ohio State. But to me, it's okay. How are they going to develop these shot plays? How are they going to be able to move the ball down the field? We'll get into the receiving core a heck of a lot uh, here in a little bit. But with the quarterback, uh, so much of it has to be on Sean Clifford's shoulders to improve. And Sean Clifford knows it. Uh, One of the interesting things, speaking with Clifford this offseason, he's been trying all different methods to like retrain his brain and his mind and Really, we talk about any little inch that you can do to get better. Uh, He's been trying all of these things, of course, to go along with everything football-related. But, you know, he completed 59% of his passes last season, but 23 touchdowns to 7 interceptions. I mean, Matt, to me, whether or not Will Levis is going to have a role this year is something that is going to be sorted out in camp, whenever, whenever camp is. But it's something that, you know, I asked Kirk Sharaka, by not having spring practice, had there been a role for Will Levis in this offense, would you have even implemented that in the spring? And he said, honestly, no. He said, it's something that we wouldn't have done until fall camp, because at that point, you're trying to see what can we add to the offense that's missing? What are a few maybe little wrinkles here and there? Uh, and that's what they did over time. He said, you know, that's what happened when they used the Wildcat at Minnesota, that it was like a camp thing where they decided, huh, we can we can get something out of this. So curious to see what the next step is for Levis, because as we all know, Matt, the backup quarterback is always the most interesting person on any football roster. Uh, but you also look at um, kind of the, the battle for the number three spot has sorted itself out with Michael Johnson Jr. Uh, heading into the transfer portal. So to me, and I'm sure everyone, Sean Clifford, most interesting person there, Will Levis, second most interesting, because <laughs> I want to know if they can tap you know, into the 6'3", 229-pounder for some sort of role. I don't want to call it the lion role, because I know everybody's not going to think about the old Tommy Stevens package, but uh, maybe we see Levis get you know, a few reps this season. And our transition here, I think I, I want to touch on, like, there's no reason for Sean Clifford to finish second on the team in rushing attempts again. I know that, like, sacks are included in college football rushing stats, which is kind of dumb. But regardless, he should not finish second on the team in rushing attempts again. Last year it was Journey Brown with 129. And, you know, I know that also that the carries were distributed, you know, not evenly, but distributed between four running backs. No, Kane got hurt. So I know there are like contributing factors to this, but still I think we can agree that even though he did 
do some nice things with his legs last year. It's just given the talent at running back, there's just no need for Sean Clifford to be taking the pounding that he took last year. It still should be part of the offense, but when you have Journey Brown and when you have Noah Kane and when you have Devin Ford and when you have two four-star freshmen coming in and when you have Will Levis maybe coming off the bench a little bit, uh, it's just, you know, I think they can do a better job of protecting Sean Clifford because it seemed just so clear that he wore down. I mean, well, we know he, he missed yeah. a game because of injury at the end of the year. So they just, I don't think they can afford to have that happen again. Um, but so we move on to the running backs where Ricky Slade is still in the transfer portal as well, but Penn State is loaded at running back. So, all right, most uh, important player in the backfield. Who you got? Oh, boy. Is Probably it... obvious, but. <laughs> well, <laughs> is I... it? <laughs> I won't be I won't be obvious then, Matt. Um I'm really still intrigued by Noah Kane and well, that's why I think he's the most interesting player. Yeah, I, I mean it, to me it's like you just and Kane met with reporters uh, this past week on Zoom and he did acknowledge the ankle injury last season and said that it took longer to heal than he expected and you know that learning patience was a really important thing for him during his freshman year but he said he feels more explosive he feels leaner than ever uh, he spent the pandemic time training in Dallas and also training in Arizona so he is back in state college now and is slated to begin workouts with Penn State uh, this week but you know this is you have so many options back there and also, Jaywan Sider is still going to dictate this rotation with James Franklin. I asked Kirk Sharaka about that, and I said, I just want to be clear, you know, are, are you going to be the guy who says, okay, we want this guy to do this? And he said, no. He said he likes to defer to the position coach on that. So, obviously, you're going to see some of these guys get more specific roles with Kane being um, – arguably that guy in those mutter type games like we saw you know when you're playing in Iowa and those kinds of things he could be your guy but Matt Journey Brown what he did last season apparently he is more confident than ever right now the way he finished the year with that performance in the Cotton yeah, he should Bowl be. <laughs> I mean yeah like you couldn't have ended the season on a better note than how he did and it was yeah it wasn't just the Cotton Bowl he had 124 at Minnesota kind of got lost in losing there but 14 carries 124 yards two touchdowns 100 yards against Indiana Ohio State he just didn't really get the ball enough they ended up you know just became like Will Levis running every play in the second half of that game but Journey Brown had 11 carries for 64 yards in that game 103 against Rutgers which I think we forgot every detail of that game I know I have yeah I don't <laughs> I then, remember nothing about that 202 yards in the uh in the season finale against Memphis obviously breakout performance but his guy averaged 6.9 yards per carry, 890 yards, 12 touchdowns for the season. Uh, showed more physicality than maybe we thought. I think that's certainly developed. You know, he's a guy who came to Penn State with a rec- reputation as kind of a fast track guy. And he's, you know, you've developed into a more well-rounded running back. And when you add that, so I, I think given what he showed, I, I think, you know, he's a legit NFL prospect. He's an all Big Ten yeah. contender. Like, he's probably the most important guy there, but I – Noah Kane, I'm still so intrigued by because he's just a different dimension where they had those years where they just struggled to put away games and, and get that first down they needed to get. And he can do that. We saw him do that. Um, and so if he's healthy, it's just an incredible one-two punch. And again, we haven't even really talked about Devin Ford, who was a four-star recruit with a lot of potential. That's too. where I was going to go because speaking with Jaywan Sider this offseason, he said, you know, he's like, hey, don't sleep on Devin Ford. And I was like, oh, here we go again. Like, it's it's the same thing with this backfield. I mean, they view all three of those guys as starters. And, you know, the compliments that Cider has heaped Ford's way 
uh, have been really impressive. And it's, it's, you know, it's something when a coach is like, oh, I, you know, I think highly of this guy. But the stuff he's saying, he's like, you know, I think we're going to see a whole other level of Devin Ford this year. And that's, to me, is like, okay, let's see that level. Because keep in mind, Matt, you're also going to have these guys uh, vying for some reps as kick returners. So, you know, Journey Brown is still looked upon as the, as the lead guy back there. But that could be a spot where maybe you see Devin Ford get some looks. Maybe you see Noah Kane get some looks back there, too. Um, but the backfield insanely loaded and that's before you get to Keziah Holmes and Kevion Lee so I mean I think Matt this on the offense I will say this is the most intriguing position group in my mind just because again you got to keep all these guys happy uh and so this could be a dominant rushing offense we saw I mean Memphis oh, yeah. you know for is a good team but clearly weak with that run defense but you know, given we'll get to the offensive line and the strides they've made in run blocking, given the talent, I mean, uh, I, I think this really could be a dominant run offense. And uh, just for fun, since we, we have no idea, um, and I've tried to, to make contact with him a few times, but where could Ricky Slade end up? I I have no idea. It's a, it's, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to even speculate. It's like, it feels like a year ago at this point, and. Just like, it's kind of a tough time to be in the, in the portal. portal as well, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, the fact, that, the fact that we run through all of this from like, oh, yeah, by the way, the former five-star back uh, is no right. longer here. I mean, it's just it speaks to how insanely talented this position group is and how they're going to find roles for all of these guys. Going to be very exciting to see how they do all that. All right, well, let's turn to – let's combine wide receivers and tight ends in an overall receiving core here. So, obviously, more uncertainty. There are two starters back if we look at – uh, John Dotson at wide receiver and Pat Frymuth at tight end. Also, Daniel George, you know, kind of was like almost like a co-starter with Justin Shorter, and then the starter when Justin Shorter left. So, most maybe the most interesting group on the team, just because it's the most unknown group on the team. Certainly, the most intense spotlight is in the receivers. So, grouping together wide receivers and tight end, Audrey, who is the most important player? Do you think Penn State has here? Pat Frymuth, most important. Um, you just look at what he's able to do from a size perspective, a speed perspective, a strength perspective. I mean, you remember the guy in the Cotton Bowl that he just pretty much demolished. I mean, you're looking at potentially the top tight end in college football this year. And when I was talking to Sharaka about, you know, Pat Fryermuth, obviously everybody looks at the numbers of tight ends at Minnesota and the limited usage. And I mean, that's totally irrelevant here because it's, it's not going to be the case when you have a guy uh, this important to your offense. But Shiraka's over the moon at just having the opportunity to have a guy like a Pat Fryermuth in this offense. Um, you know, and let's be honest here too, Matt. Whatever they can get out of this tight end position is going to also dictate that number three receiver spot. Meaning, yeah. if we see Penn State going back to using more two tight end stuff, it's largely going to be because that second tight end is going to be better than that number three receiver. Now, obviously, some of this will be game plan specific and whatnot, but whether or not we see them use that heavy dose of two tight end uh, is going to be predicated on what both of these spots look like. So, in my mind, Fryermuth most interesting guy of this group, uh, but certainly you can make a case for Jahan Dotson too, given all the uncertainties behind him. And I'm going to throw in here as important Daniel George, because I think mm-hmm. they just got so 
little out of kind of that like X receiver, that big outside receiver yeah. role last year with Daniel George and and Justin Shorter. Justin Shorter caught 12 passes, 137 yards, you know, left before the last game of the regular season. You know, Daniel George had nine catches, 100 yards. Um, they just, you know, it was KJ Hamler was obviously Sean Clifford's top target and Jahan Dotson played a nice complimentary role. I think he's going to grow this year. He's a talented guy. Talk about Fryermuth, you know, for all the faults in the receiving core, Penn State has like a favorite to be a first team All-American catching passes. Um, so we can't, not that anybody is overlooking that, but that is, you know, part of the passing game, a big part of the passing game. But, you know, Daniel George was a highly recruited guy who, you know, just hasn't yet been able to put it all together, had the timeshare, has had, you know, some injury problems. So I think, I think he is a really important guy because we need, I, I you know, I don't, I don't know if he's like, to have this important and interesting distinction. I don't know if he's like the most intriguing guy. I think he's just very important for that role. They need somebody to step up and he has some experience, you know, I don't, and he's still only a redshirt sophomore. Like, you know, yeah. it feels like some of the conversations like kind of given up on some of the more veteran guys around here, but there's still a there's decent chance that a guy like him emerges. So I, I think um, it's, he, he could potentially play a very, very valuable role and answer questions there. It's just, we don't know. It's such an unknown. And my most interesting guy of this group, Matt, um, is freshman wide receiver Keandre Lambert-Smith. And I think this is, you know, you want to talk about sleeper picks for the season. And it's kind of crazy when you think, you know, hey, here's a guy who got here in January, had no spring ball. Uh, But what I go back to is my conversation for State of the Program with James Franklin. And he said, Keandre Lambert did not lose a competitive challenge all winter. When they were doing winter workouts, you know, when they pair these guys up based on size and strength and they want to really kind of figure out what kind of competitors they have, or at least do these competitors match up who they think they've recruited, every time Keandre Lambert answered the bell. So here's a former four-star kid who has the opportunity to come in here and, you know, that depth chart that Penn State released ahead of what would have been the blue-white game, Taylor Stubblefield said it might as well just have been written in invisible ink because... Every spot there is up for grabs. Uh, So Lambert Smith, to me, is going to be really fascinating. But then, Matt, I do feel like maybe they're getting a little bit overlooked here. But you look at the redshirt freshmen in TJ Jones and John Dunmore, and it's like, hey, wait, wait, wait. Like, Dunmore was a highly recruited guy, too. Uh, TJ Jones was a very intriguing prospect. So... Also, Lambert isn't the only highly recruited freshman either. When you, yeah. <laughs> you know, Jaden Dotton was an early and early too was a four star recruit. Parker Washington is a four star recruit. So Norval Black it's not coming like from Lackawanna. Yeah, it's not like there's no talent here. It's just unproven talent that makes it fascinating to watch. Like who emerges, and and I agree with you. If I had to name somebody here, it's Lambert as well, just based on what we've heard. You know, his recruiting pedigree, but. There's a lot of potential bodies here where it's going to be very, very interesting to see how it sorts out and if kind of there's a youth movement or not. And going along with that, then who becomes that number two tight end is the other really interesting piece to all of this, because between Zach Kuntz, Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson, you've got a really unique mix there. Um, For Kuntz, it's like, remember, this was a really, really highly touted guy, but we just haven't seen him take that next step, put it all together yet. Maybe now he will. You know, maybe this is the time for him. They've been very high on Brenton Strange since he got here. Theo Johnson enrolls in January. Wouldn't have participated in spring ball anyway because he had a shoulder injury coming off the Under Armour game. Um, But he's now, you know, again, a very highly recruited guy. So that 
battle for the, the number two tight end spot is going to be really interesting in camp and kind of something to, to keep an eye on. All right, let's move to, t- to the offensive line where we basically have, can we call it like four and a half returning starters? I mean, yeah, I'll, there's, I'll there's go with four, that. four positions are back. Steven Gonzalez uh, is gone, but we saw Mike Miranda and CJ Thorpe basically share the other starting role all at guard. So we're going to have one of them start left guard, which Miranda was listed there in the spring and CJ Thorpe was listed at right guard. Both of those guys have a lot of experience, you know, not to diminish the loss of Steven Gonzalez. It was a you know fine player for Penn state, but you know, the offensive line is again, you've said it, we, we say it all the time. It's okay. Is this actually the year? But we saw signs of it last year, you know, mm-hmm. the way the running game developed. I think they were inconsistent in pass protection, but um, with, you know, potentially a, a, some technique changes and maybe a coaching upgrade, uh, the, this offensive line is in better position than we've seen, I feel like, in a long time. So four, four and a half starters back. Who is your uh, most important player to this offensive line? Uh, most important, Scott, to be fifth-year senior Michael Bennett. You know, comes here with the highly recruited background, Pennsylvania guy. You know, you return your starting center, but if they would be in a pinch, he's a guy who could – move around, play elsewhere along the interior if need be. Uh, but he's your rock up front. I mean, this is yeah. – he's your leader. He's the one making the calls. has a very strong relationship with Sean Clifford. And he's also a leader in that room. I mean, you look you look at everything that they returned there. Uh, being able to have Michael Mennett back is, is valuable. I mean, this is like – to me, it's such a luxury when you return this much experience up front. And it's also really important when you have a guy like Michael Mennett when you have a new position coach because Mennett can then go back to Phil Troutwine and they can kind of swap intel on guys and say, hey, you know, so-and-so really does this well. Or maybe, you know, to relate better to this guy, you have to do this to get through to him better, you know, try X, Y, and Z. It's it's a really important share of information that goes back when you have a leader like that. So uh, Michael Mennett's the most important to me. I would agree. I will since... I'm just going to take a different answer than you and say Rasheed Walker, mm-hmm. <laughs> just very, because very you know, I think he had a solid year as a redshirt freshman, but you know, room for growth. So it's you know he started every game as a redshirt freshman. Can how does he develop? Does he take that next step? Does he become a more dominant player? Does he become an All Big Ten type player? You know, given his you know stature as a recruit, given that he saw has seen the field so early in his career, um, you know, how does he take to the coaching under under Phil Troutwine? I think you know he's. Uh, important player to watch, an interesting player to watch, kind of both categories there. Uh, but I've, you know, obviously, any left tackle is is really important, um, and it, it's going to be intriguing to see his growth. But I did want to give a different answer for interesting, and that I think is C.J. Thorpe in a full time starting mm-hmm. role, because we've talked about already what we think this rushing offense can do, and I think Thorpe is a big part of that. You know, he's a, I think you've used the term with him, and coaches have like mean streak intensity. Yeah. You know, he's an intense guy who maybe had to re- refine his technique a little bit, um, play more within himself, but is a is a physical, tenacious guy who could be a huge asset to this running game. Yeah, and they're going to need him to be, Matt. I mean, I think CJ's done a much better job with it over the years of, like, controlling himself. I mean, that was early on here. Um, I mean, I remember being at practice a couple times and he would just start to rumble with guys and, <laughs> you know, it's like, Hey, you know, you can't, you can't do this. And James Franklin would try to break him up and, and yell at him and all those kinds of things. But he's done a much better job uh, harnessing that aggression. But to me, the most interesting guy of this is Caden Wallace, because you look at last year, takes a red shirt listed on that spring depth chart as the backup right tackle 
but they believe that he could play a number of spots. And, you know, you go back to his recruitment. This guy's massive, I guess, is the other part of this. I mean, you're looking at someone who looks like a big-time Big Ten offensive lineman. So the fact that, you know, he's not even in that starting dialogue right now is is interesting because it speaks to what they've been able to build up front. But you're going to have to start looking toward the future at some point this right. season and uh, look at what you're losing. And Caden Wallace is going to be a huge piece of this offensive line for years to come. So I'm curious what it looks like. You know, can he be potentially that sixth guy? I mean, we saw Des Holmes be that person last, last year. Um, could Wallace have a shot to be that? And Phil Troutwine said earlier this offseason he thinks that Wallace could, um, you know, that he could push for playing time, kind of spell guys. But, of course, Wallace wants more. Penn State wants him to, to want more. But, you know, you've got a lot of talent in front of him. But no doubt about it, I mean, this is a very, very talented former highly touted recruit waiting in the wings uh, coming off a red shirt here. So excited to see Matt, you know, even if it's in mop-up time and non-conference play, but he's going to have a role uh, that extends beyond that. All right, let's shift to defense and another position group with a new position coach. We've talked about John Scott Jr. And it's, you know, it's kind of remarkable to say that they lose two draft picks, including a high draft pick in Etor Grossmatzos, but also Rob Windsor. They lose a, you know, very, very, very valuable position coach in Sean Spencer. And yet, I don't think anybody is really worried about the defensive line, and nor should they be. Um, you know, there's plenty of experience returning and certainly plenty of talent because they've recruited the position so well. Uh, so two starters back, but a little bit more experience and plenty of intrigue. So first, let's let's start with who is your most important player on this defensive line? Tire defensive line, my most important player is P.J. Mustafer. And I say this because, you know, he's somebody who's going to be stepping into that starting role vacated by Rob Windsor. Penn State needs Mustafer to also have a pass-rushing presence. They know it. P.J. knows it. It's been a huge focal point for him this offseason. He's really focused on his nutrition and what he can do to become this dominant player. And one of the things I had a conversation with him this spring, he said is like, I want to be one of the best defensive linemen in the country. Uh, he's not taking this lightly, but I mean, again, this is a guy who has a lot of experience, also has a lot of leadership potential in him, a lot of likability when you look at somebody who can really uh, be a leader for this defensive line. I think he's going to be really, really important. And I also think, Matt, he's got the potential to be a really, really talented player, not just at Penn State, but beyond that. So to, for me, um, I'm going to maybe take a bit of a leap here and say that he's the most, impiece, most important piece to this defensive line. I don't think you're off base. I think we've talked about him as a potential breakout player. He's a guy who's already been kind of a co-starter, mm -hmm. uh, you know, played as a true freshman as well. So he is certainly in position to, to make a leap and become a very, very valuable part of this defense. So I think we'll probably go in a similar direction when we talk about most intriguing or interesting player. And honestly, though, I'm going to name two. That's uh, cheating, I think they kind of go together. Okay. And that's Jason Owe and Adissa Isaac. Okay. Uh, you know, Owe seems like the guy who's in line to start. But yeah. we're talking about, okay, if they're going to replace the Etor Gross-Mautis, we know they ro they rotate on the defensive line. Uh, you know, uh, Owe is the number one answer here just because we know he's this, you know, he didn't even start playing football until he was in, what, high school. through high school? Yeah. Um, and he's, you know, just a physical freak, freakish athlete. He's going to put up huge testing numbers, probably going to blow up at the combine in a year or two. 
And, you know, it's just, okay, now is the chance to, he's not going to play this complimentary role. He's probably going to be the starter. And, you know, they have a proven guy in Shaka Tony who brings back a lot of experience, you know, has 15 or 16 career sacks, really good player. But, you know, can they have really an, kind of an elite group of defensive ends? I think they can, even without Gross Matos. And that's, you know, starts with Jason Owe. But, I, you know, I think it would also be a mistake not to mention Isaac, who was a highly recruited guy who flashed as a true freshman in a very crowded group last year. Yeah. And is certainly going to have a role this year um, in, in a group that, you know, brings back plenty of experience also with, you know, Shane Simmons back as a fifth year senior. The uh, Adisa Isaac hype train left the station last year, Matt. Um, <laughs> and it left what when teammates were saying, you know, they're saying, Hey, we think this is a former first round draft pick. And it's like, Whoa, you know, here's a true freshman at the time right. who guys are just gushing about. And I, so I, you're not off base on that. I mean, I think they've stockpiled a lot of physical freaks up front. Um, and you're starting to see that. I, I think Jason Owe, as Brent Price said, Owe is ready. He said he's capable, he's ready. Um, you know, so much for Owe was about learning the position and learning the nuances right. of it. Physically, it's never been about that. So they feel like, you know, that you got somebody who's ready to go there. But yeah, Adisa Isaac, strong sleeper potential for sure. Uh, because again, this is somebody who could very much blow up and become a big time uh, superstar defensive end for Penn State here in the next year or two. All right, let's move on to what could also be the best position group on the team despite losing two starters, which is pretty remarkable. <laughs> but that's how they've recruited the linebacking core where you know the last three classes, the number one recruit in the class has been a linebacker with Michael Parsons, uh, with... Brandon Smith, and now with Curtis Jacobs in this past class. Um, I mean, it's hard not to say that the most important and the most interesting and exciting and basically <laughs> any other adjective you can come up with is Michael Parsons because he's like in the top five in both of those categories, like nationally too. So, you know, obviously Michael Parsons is as important as it gets. He's you know the best player on the team, one of the best players in the country, one of the most talented defensive players Penn State's ever had. And that's saying something because this is, you know, linebacker you with a lot of defensive line talent as well, especially. So I don't know what more the guy can do. I guess you'll bring up he needs to get an interception. But beyond yep. that, his teammates will know, tell him that too, as will Brent. His teammates Pratt. will tell him that. But he's led the team in tackles two years in a row, even though he didn't even, wasn't, wasn't even the starter as a freshman, but he led the yeah. team in tackles <laughs> last year, 109 tackles. Um, double-digit tackles for loss, kind of just did everything. And and obviously, it wasn't really – we don't want to call it his breakout game because everybody knew about him, but he had that national audience watching his just ridiculous performance in the Cotton Bowl that kind of pushed him on to, okay, if any defensive player is going to like be in the Heisman conversation, it might be Micah Parsons. You know, and one of the things I asked Brent Pry was, you know, how do you – coming off that Cotton Bowl, like do you have to kind of – rein in Micah a little bit, you know, after a game where he seemingly could do anything and everything. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. There's plenty of things for Micah to work on. Um, and, you know, Mike has been very committed to that as well. You know, Brent Price said one of the biggest things with not having, you know, spring practice is Micah likes to practice. He loves being out there practicing, which, you know, you don't often hear that about a lot of guys. And he said that, you know, he's a competitor, and just by taking away that practice time, Micah is really ready to go, very excited to get back here and get working. But to me, Matt, the most interesting part of this is Brandon Smith. Yes. Because 
when Penn State recruited Brandon Smith and rolled out the full court press, you know, all the way down to giving the kid and his family a standing ovation when he walked into the football building, so much of that recruitment was about this year. And what are you going to get when you pair Micah Parsons with Brandon Smith with a middle linebacker competition that's going to be sorted out in camp between Ellis Brooks and Jesse Lucetta? This is as talented of a linebacking core as we've seen in a very long time around here, and that's saying something. Uh, but Brandon Smith, to me, I mean, you're, you're looking at star-studded potential in this linebacking core. And let's not forget, Charlie Catcher has been somebody else that, you know, Brett Price said to me, he said, you know, Audrey, Charlie Catcher is the interesting piece in all of this. You know, he's been hanging in the shadows a little bit, ready to take on a bigger role. Um, but then, you know, you add Lance Dixon to it as well, Matt. And Dix- Dixon posted some very impressive uh, testing numbers from what the coaching staff said. And he's actually even gotten bigger, but he's also gotten faster, which is a pretty scary option. So Lance Dixon is running like a safety and looking and playing like a linebacker. I mean, this position group is just loaded with talent. And, oh, yeah, by the way, then Curtis Jacobs is set to enroll, too. Yeah, it's not just talent. It's different types of players. They yeah. can do a lot. Like, Micah Parsons, obviously, is just somebody, you you know, he's now a junior. He's an experienced guy. You can keep putting more on his plate and finding different ways for him to attack, you know, opposing offenses. And, you know, Brandon Smith is a unique kind of body type. And, you know, we haven't even mentioned, like, Ellis Brooks, I think, has shown – Really nice things, mm-hmm. and and if he's the starting middle linebacker, I think Penn State is will have plenty of confidence in him. But you know, Jesse Lucetta was a Jesse Lucetta is like you know him and Lance Dixon are in the same boat in which they got overshadowed by their uh, fellow uh, rec- their recruiting classmate. With you know, Lucetta was in with Parsons, and uh, Dixon was in with Brandon Smith, and they kind of get overshadowed. But they're still highly recruited guys that could make an impact as well. So, just star-studded group with. Uh, Tons and tons and tons of potential, even if, you know, Cam Brown and Jan Johnson were, you know, rock solid players that will be missed. Uh, I still think the linebacking core, and this is a team, again, that also led the nation in yards per carry allowed on defense last year. And uh, even with the losses, I think they could be right in that mix again. Yeah, there's so much to like about that linebacking core. And I mean, Matt, I, I do think Penn State can do some very special things this year with this defense. And if it should do that, it's largely, I think, going to be going to be because of what they can get out of this linebacking core. All right, let's move to the defensive backfield where it's an intriguing group for sure because we saw inconsistency last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were some injuries that certainly played a role, but, you know, gave up too many big plays. Everybody can agree on that. But we also saw like young players get involved. We saw um, a group that they've recruited pretty well, especially at cornerback. And you know, there's there's talent here that they could easily put it together and become a really really good unit. So two starters gone: uh, Garrett Taylor gone at safety, um, and uh, John Reed, who was a draft pick, is gone at cornerback. But still, plenty of of talent and potential here. So in the whole secondary, who who do you got as the most important player back here? Well, I think the obvious choice would be Tariq Castro Fields. Yeah. So I'm not going to go with that, man. Um, to me, I I'm, think he's the right answer. So. It's it's the right answer, but uh, when in doubt, always take the other one. I'm going with Jaquan Brisker, and I say this because this is a secondary that has to get their hands on the football more. 
That's been stressed to them. It's been emphasized. And Brisker's ball skills make him the best guy, the most suited guy to help Penn State in that area. So I think Jaquan Brisker, as a senior, is really going to have a big impact on this secondary. So that's why I'd go that route, Matt. But Castro Fields is certainly a great answer. Uh, Penn State needs him to be more consistent. Dealt with an injury last year, and Castro Fields acknowledged it. Terry Smith acknowledged it. He looked very good early on in the season last year, and toward the end did not look great. And it was very much a tale of two seasons. They don't want to use the injury as an excuse, but they need Castro Fields to be that shutdown corner. They're looking for him to be that. They believe he can be that. Um, But I just think there's also a lot of area for growth with Brisker. So kind of a cop-out answer, I know, Matt, but which which direction are you headed? I think Castro Fields is a guy who you could almost – it's weird to say about a, a senior who we've seen play so much football, but I think he could surprise some people this yeah. year because I think people got frustrated with you know the big plays given up and, and some of the issues that he had last year. But if he's healthy, he is a talented guy. He, he has flashed a high ceiling. So I, I think if he's healthy coming back, you know, uh, Penn State is still potentially in really good hands. And, and I think he could have kind of a breakthrough season if, if he stays healthy. So I think he, he is, as as kind of the veteran of that cornerback group, a very, very important player. Um, so I think we could go many different directions if we turn to kind of the most interesting guy to watch. Uh, who would you say? that we, we certainly have a lot of freshmen who saw the field last year. Um, who do you think there? I'm actually maybe another curveball here, but I'm going to go with redshirt junior Donovan Johnson. And I th- I, you know, I thought you were going to do that. <laughs> yep, because, you know, the, the other guys certainly intriguing. Keaton Ellis, Marquise Wilson, Joey Porter Jr. There is a lot to like there. But don't forget about Donovan Johnson. If he's healthy, which has always kind of seemingly been the question with him the last few years, He was going to be the guy to get the first crack at locking down that starting spot opposite Castro Fields this spring. That was the plan. They're going to carry that plan into fall camp as well. So he's going to get a shot um, to see, you know, can he be that guy? And if not, I mean, you've got several other options there in Ellis, Wilson, and Porter Jr. who are ready to, to try and be that guy as well. But don't rule him out just yet, Matt. I mean, he's played, Donovan Johnson's played a lot of football at Penn State, but seemingly every time he'd get going, then he'd get hurt. So I'm just wondering um, if if he can be that guy this year. Fair answer. And so I, I was, if you were going to take one of the freshmen, I was going to take another one. So I don't even know who to pick because I'm certainly intrigued by Keaton Ellis, by Marquise Wilson, by Joey Porter. Uh, Keaton Ellis looks like a guy who can fill multiple roles. He's on the depth chart at, at or at star as well. And, and, you know, we saw certainly flashes from both him and Marquise Wilson. Both had multiple forced fumbles last year. Both had three forced fumbles, I believe. Wilson also had two picks. So there's just, again, for all the inconsistency and faults we saw last year, there was a really high ceiling where it's like you could quickly see cornerback become one of the strengths of the team. I don't think it's that far-fetched to say that, even on a defense where we talk about the linebackers. We talk about the defensive ends. You know, you talk about P.J. Mustafer. But there's still so much young talent, plus, you know, a guy like Castro Fields who is more experienced and has that potential that, I don't know, I don't see a repeat last year happening, especially if 
they can adequately replace Gross Matos, which we think they can do because we know that, you know, one of the best, the best help for a secondary is getting a good pass rush. So I, I am fairly confident that those pieces can fall into place and that given the options that they have, somebody will emerge or, you know, multiple people will emerge, even if John Reed is, is a pretty tough loss and kind of an, an underrated loss in some respects. All right, let's move to finally special teams. Um, important, intriguing, kind of different types of designations here, I guess. But yeah. uh, I guess we're the most important is a guy taking on multiple the most roles. roles. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, Jordan Stout was the kickoff specialist, the long field goal specialist, and now also most likely the punter. And they're, you know, it, it's big shoes to fill with Blake Gilligan, who, who you know, was a, a valuable weapon for Penn State for several years. Yeah, and they believe that Stout is going to be successful as the kickoff specialist, um, also handling, continuing to handle those longer field goals, also holding for Jake Pinniger on the shorter field goals, and then, oh yeah, also as a punter. I mean, it's the interesting thing, and the thing that they are most focused on this offseason with Jordan Stout is coming up with a practice routine that's going to get him into the season and through the season as fresh as possible. Joe Lorig told me that you have to think of it in terms of like a pitch count when you're looking at pitchers. And he said, the thing is with Jordan Stout, he'd love to go out and just kick the ball nonstop every day. Like he wants to keep practicing, doing more and more, but you got to figure out how can you maximize, you know, his potential on Saturdays by ramping it up during the week and being smart about, okay, what's he doing on Tuesday, what's he doing Wednesday, Thursday, and so on and so forth. So it's, I mean, this is why they went after Jordan Stout, because they felt he was a combo specialist. Um, I think, Matt, that's going to be a great storyline for the Virginia Tech game and how Virginia Tech uh, had one, once had Stout as a walk-on, comes to Penn State, gets a scholarship, because he's very much been an X factor for Penn State. Um, and now you're adding, you know, a whole nother whole other skill that he's going to have to uh, be able to master. I do want to shout out Jake Pinniger, who I feel like is, can I say he's underrated? Sure. Go I kind of think he's underrated. Um, you know, everybody was excited. It's weird to say everybody's like excited about the kickoff specialist, <laughs> which not that Jordan Stout didn't deserve it, but, and, and, you know, justifiably, you know, he, he did set the Penn state record for longest field goal ever. So, you know, all credit to Jordan Stout. Jake Pinniger has been pretty good. Um, and you know, he's a guy who last year made, uh, what 11 of 12 field goals, I believe last year. Um, so, you know, he hasn't had the quote unquote flashy kicks because Jordan yeah. comes in on the, on the longer ones. Uh, but you know, Pinnaker has been rock solid for Penn state and, you know, he's a guy who's very experienced and he was 11 of 12 last year on field goals. As a freshman, he was 16 to 24. He missed some, but still made 16 field goals as a freshman. So, you know, I think Penn State's kicking game is in very good hands. And we haven't seen Jordan Stout as a punter, but I, I do think they're in good shape. And I guess the one other thing we have to cover here is, Audrey, I assume you're going to say that the most intriguing thing in the in on special teams might be nope. whether Michael Parsons nope. gets one nope. punt return. I am not, return, I have I not fallen for it. <laughs> I am not. Um, you know... If it happens, <laughs> that, it's going to be interesting. He's going to be <laughs> continue to be viewed as the off returner. But the, the thing there is, Journey Brown's going to 
be your kick returner. Um, if teams don't want to kick the journey Brown, maybe they'll kick it short to Micah, maybe not. Uh, Keziah Holmes is also going to get some looks back there, uh, as is Devin Ford. And that's one area, Matt, where this team has room for improvement, both in kick and punt returns, two areas, because they didn't have that many opportunities last year because teams did not want to kick the ball to K.J. Hamler or punt the ball to K.J. Hamler. So speaking with Joe Lorig, he said, you know, we really believe that we're going to be better in that area just because we have a lot more guys who are unknown, so he thinks they're going to have more opportunities. Um, and that's also, I wrote earlier this offseason, a piece uh, worth checking out on the Penn State page on The Athletic about the statistics that Penn State's three coordinators are most focused on changing this year and improving. Um, definitely worth checking out that piece because some of the stuff I'm touching on here about the special teams, uh, Joe Lorg made some really interesting points about it in that story. All right, last bit here before we sign off because, you know, we tend to uh, talk forever, especially when we go over every position on the roster. You know, Matt, what else are we supposed to do? I mean, you can't go anywhere. I I haven't been to a restaurant in months. I'm not brave (laughs) enough to go into one yet, so here we are. All right, let's do the same thing for the schedule, and there's probably going to be one obvious answer, but most important game on the schedule. What is it, Audrey? Have you heard about that one against Ohio State, Matt? Have you heard no. about that one? News to me. <laughs> the, I, I mean, who knows what the whiteout game looks like? Well, who exactly. knows what fans Is it a whiteout like? game? I, it might be a, you know, it might be a silver out game <laughs> in terms of the, you know, the, the benches. I, I mean, what Penn State looks like in terms of fans, capacity, heck, even what the press box looks like for us adhering to social distancing, nobody knows right now. Um, it, unclear, but... Getting Ohio State to come to Beaver Stadium, whatever that's going to look like October 24th, is again going to be that marquee game on the schedule. It's going to be, yet again, that game that is the chance to make or break Penn State's season. Um, So that's the game, but Matt, September 12th at Virginia Tech has the potential to also be really, really fun. I will, okay, I'm going to go for in the important category, though, obviously acknowledging that Ohio State is the most important team. Like, I'm an AP voter. They might be my preseason number one. We'll see. Still have to Ooh, figure that out. But that's a might tease. Be. That's a tease right there. Might be. Might be. Um, but, okay, so October. You look at October. At Michigan, Iowa, Ohio State. If we're talking about Penn State as, you know, a, a, a playoff contender, it's okay. Can you win at Michigan? Um, it's yeah. been a problem the last two times they've gone there. You know, the, the home teams have won the last uh, five ge- or last four games in that series. And last year, Penn State, you know, looked like it might run Michigan out of the stadium, ended up being close. And the previous three games before that were all blowouts, including 49-10 to 10 in 2016, Michigan won in Ann Arbor, and 42-7 to 7 in 2018, Michigan won in Ann Arbor. So Penn State has lost its last three trips to the big house, has not won there since uh, 2009, a 35-10 to win in that Capital One Bowl season. So, you know, Michigan is kind of in the same boat it's been in for like four years. They're trying to take that <laughs> next step. They're trying to beat Ohio State. Uh, so, you know, it's an intriguing three-game stretch for Penn State. Obviously, it's the most important stretch of the season. They do have an off week between Michigan and the, the home game against Iowa. Um, so, not that anybody's ever overlooking a trip to Michigan, but, you know, I think that's still right up there in terms of importance. 
And then you also get that November 7th game yeah, at Nebraska. That's the other one I, I was mean, that's, it's, to me, it's a really, Who knows what Nebraska is going to be? <laughs> yeah, and it's a really interesting yet fun schedule for Penn State if everything is or would be normal in terms of travel and fans getting to see some really cool venues. Um, because, of course, with Virginia Tech in there. And Penn State hasn't been at Nebraska since the Matt Lehman fumble game, right, Matt? It's been it's been a long very time. long time. Um I've only been to Nebraska once, so very much looking forward to hopefully getting there. Uh, we'll see what the season brings. But, it, yeah, it, it's to me, once they get through that October gauntlet, uh, you can then kind of, uh, dare I say, coast the last two weeks of the season again with home against Maryland and away at Rutgers. Well, we shall see. We will have more predictions and whatnot as the season gets closer but uh this has certainly been fun check out the penn state state of the program from audrey which is live right now if you're not a subscriber to the athletic uh we have a 30-day free trial going on check out audrey's story of the long and hard search for the joe paterno statue and uh coming up her her mascot story as well so lots of good college football content and uh Lots of uh, good Penn State content. And Audrey, we finally have, it looks like we're moving closer and closer to football actually happening. Hey, we're approaching late June, Matt. It's almost getting ready to roll time. So we're not going anywhere. We'll continue with uh, as much coverage as humanly possible and continue to find interesting and unique stories for all of you to uh, read and enjoy. All right. Thank you to everybody for listening to Dear Old State. Hope everybody is staying safe. And uh, we'll, we, we will be back on Dear Old State soon. And until then, continue to check out The Athletic for all of Audrey's Penn State content. Thanks for listening. Thanks.